Hey guys, are you guys ready? Here we go. Next chapter. Next four chapters. Here we go. But probably not for much longer. Not unless I found a way to get the Gonzalo off my back. I exited three stops later in front of a strip mall lined with the kind of stores my brain is programmed to ignore. A comic book shop I bet my life sold weed out of the back. One of those cook-your-own-food magnolia and barbecues. Anthony always thought they looked like fun. My argument was, what's the point if you have to do all the work? An antique store with busted G.I. Joes and agent lunchboxes in the window. Crap, crap, and more crap. And crappiest of all, a woman's discount apparel store with half a wall of duct tape holding the front window in place. Like it or not, this was a new day for me, and new days require new outfits. I held my breath, stepped inside. It was suddenly clear to me what people meant by off the rack. Half the motion dice was lying trampled on the floor. The place itself looked trampled. The drop singing was buggered from water damage. The blue synthetic carpet was worn through to the concrete foundation and the long dark cracks in the drywall reminded me of my grandmother's spider veins. Even the security cameras haven't, hadn't been uploaded since the 70s. In other words, the place was perfect. I didn't have to search hard to find the kind of outfit Anna Costello would never be caught dead in. Acid jeans, a pink sweatshirt with glamour gold spread across the chest and purple glitter, a pair of those rubber clogs patterned with dramatic cutouts, plastic sunglasses, sporting neon green frames and a handful of sparkly rainbow hair clips that I planned to stick at random interviews all around my head. I could sit on Vincent Costello's lap and he still wouldn't recognize me. I took my heart up to the counter and paid. This was one place I could use my credit cards without fear of the Costello hearing about it seconds later then carried the drawstring plastic bag back to the only dressing room and swapped my new clothes for the old ones. I looked like a cross between a high school cheerleader and the last woman standing at the local casinos. Casinos, boy, the nigga. Those days, it would work just fine while I was going. I'd fit right in. Lottery bar formerly Lottery Bar and Grill, but the latter part of the name was dropped when not even the most hardened wino would eat there. was five miles to the north in a neighborhood I'd heard about but never visited. I decided to hoof it in my new clocks. I had time to kill. Victoria wouldn't be there before happy hour anyway. Victoria Marina. Alina Costello, Anthony's first wife. In this small, affectionate moments, 
Anthony called me the upgrade. Victoria kept the Bastello name in part to piss off Anthony and in part because it came with major benefits. No one fires a Costello. No one assaults or insults a Costello. And men don't hit on a Costello uninvited. Not even drunk men. All, all that came in handy for Vicky given that she poured the drinks at La Torreo. La Torreo. By the time I arrived, my new sweatshirt was a darker shade of pink, and my feet fell as though they'd been rubbed while the bar set between a bodyguard and an abandoned storefront. A gaggle of aging men hung outside the bodyguard playing cards and smoking cigars. I cocked my head and winked at them, a new personality to go with my new wardrobe. Then I gave myself a silent prep talk and pushed through the bar's saloon-style doors. The interior was all felt pendants, slung crooked against wood paneling. The sawdust on the floor was probably the same sawdust they'd laid out when the place opened three decades ago, at a little after five, only the hardcore regulars were in attendance, drunks of both genders with silken mouths, busted capillaries, clothes that were far apart if they were ever washed. Of course, the population would look much the same at eight o'clock p.m., 10 o'clock p.m., Midnight, she was standing behind the bar, chopping up lemons with a black rag snug over one shoulder. She hadn't changed much since the last time I saw her. Fake hair, fake eyelashes, fake nails, fake tits, and none of it particularly well maintained. Hiya, Vicky, I said. She hated it when anyone shortened her name. Victoria sounded to her like royalty and falling from Anthony's castle to this hole in the wall had done nothing to slow her ego. I know you, she asked. I took off the Cracker Jack prize sunglasses. Know me, I said. You hate my guts. She glanced across the bar, her jaw working double time. Vicky's one of those people who can make the act of chewing gum Look and sound like a war crime. Oh, yeah, she said. You're the lying, thieving, flat-chested whore. Anthony, find a newer model yet? I grinned. I felt oddly pleased with myself. Her insults held no sway anymore. Nothing, she said, could faze me. I needed information from her, and that was it. Namely, I needed to know who my want Anthony dead because while I believed either Sarah or Serena was involved or maybe both of them I didn't believe they'd acted alone I didn't believe they'd done the stabbing combined they added up to about half Anthony's weight maybe Serena turned off the alarm let the killer in maybe Sarah sprinkled my husband's eggs with powdered banana, but the more 
but the move against him had been sexed by a higher power, maybe Vincent's men weren't coming after me to average Anthony. Maybe they were just finishing the job. If anyone could cut through the maybes, it was Victoria. She'd been hands-on with his business interests, especially his ex interests, the side deals he didn't want Vincent to know about. She was the one who convinced him he wasn't getting his due. It took a while, but her relationship with Anthony went south because she pushed too hard, wanted his fingers in more and more pies. That's part of why I played deaf and dumb in in my marriage. The other part was that I really didn't want to know. I'm trying to imagine what brings an Italian-American princess like you to this sit-hole on a weekday afternoon. She said, I'm not coming up with anything that makes my life better. I've got, I've got questions, I said. Questions I'm pretty sure only you can answer. Anthony did something to you, didn't he? She was gloating. The poor thing really had no clue. And I wasn't about to break the news until she told me what I wanted to know. Anyway, I said, I'm not involved in his business dealings like you were. I was wondering who he's in He's in bed. He's in bed with, I nodded. You looking to hold him? Because if that could be done, believe me, I'd have done it. Anthony's protected from every angle. As bad as I wanted to see his little empire collapse. An empire I more or less built for him. I wasn't going to get myself killed trying. It isn't that, I said. I just want to be prepared. An elderly patron at the end of the bar called out for a first pint. Vicky told him to keep his pants on. I don't believe you, she said. But if you want to make a play against Tony, it won't be me who stops you. Nothing would make me happier than to see you both go down in flames. That's sweet, Vic, I said. So tell me, well is his father ball most likely to get in trouble. You asking who would come after him? I gave another nod, got the hell clips knocking against my skull. Granted, my information stated, but I'd look to the boys in blue. The cops? That's right, hon. The cops. Tony blackmails them. Gets them to do his bidding. His, not Vincent's. You starting to see the pixel? It was a much bigger and uglier pixel than I'd imagined. I leaned against a stool. Vicky smiled, enjoying herself. Could be one of the cops is after him. Could be Vincent himself. But the question you need to ask yourself is, how does Tony know which cop so dirty? Who's feeding him the intel? Because that person has a hell of a lot to lose. Could could be he wants out. You know who it is, don't you? I said, give me a name. She laughed. Her laugh was, a, was as fake as the rest of her. I'm not a rat, hon. 
But then I'm guessing you don't really need me to tell you. It was a good guess. So what is it? She asked. Death threats? A pipe bomb through the bay window? No, I said. Anthony's already dead. I like to say I told her the truth because I thought she should know. But the even bigger truth is I got a kick out of watching her face turn colors beneath all that rouge. What are you talking about? He was stabbed to death. I found him this morning in our kitchen. I'm no, ex- I'm no expert, but it looked like a crime of passing. I'm sure those dirty cops will come knocking at your door any minute. She picked up the knife she'd been using to cut lemons and pointed it at the door. You bring this shit to me, she said. Get the hell out. Oh, I swear to God, I'll do you the way they did Anthony. Vicky, I... You think I'm stupid? You're here asking questions because you know it. it's you they are coming for next. You've got loose in tattooed across your forehead. And now I've got to worry about your deathbed confession. I didn't know anything about anything until Victoria spilled her guts. You're lucky we are standing in a room full of witnesses. On cue, the drunks stumbled off their stools and gathered around. The poor deals thought they were really quite threatening. I could have knocked any one of them over with my little finger. I took a last look at Vicky and told myself it was better to be the widow than the ex. first chapter in this episode is in the books. On to the second chapter. Let's begin. I damn well, I damn near wore out those rubber clogs walking the cedar streets of East Tampa looking for some hole to crawl into. I had a hundred dollars cash in my wallet, enough to rent a motel room for a night, maybe two if the moon came with a mirror on the ceiling and an hourly wait. There was a surprising shortage of choices, and I wasn't about to stop one of the locals and ask for a wreck, not without backup. And that was the thing. I had no, I had no more backup. Anthony and I had, had Anthony and I had more than our cell of problems, but I always knew that if any man so much as laid a finger on me, he'd end up trampled by an army of Costellos, at least. That was true yesterday, now that same army was hunting me. For the first time in a long while, I understood what it meant to be alone. My Fitbit logged 20,000 steps before I came across the jackal bin. A s- a sort of car, 1970 structure with teetering breezeways and rusted out railings. The kind of establishment that feels incomplete without a SWAT team huddled in the parking lot. Perfect, I thought. Even I wouldn't think to look for me here. Inside, the man behind the bulletproof glass 
told me it would be 40 bucks for the night. I spent another five bucks at the wedding machines, vending machines, coming, coming away with a Diet Coke and a bag of almond mouths bars. My first meal of the day, the room was more or less what I expected, a shocking twin bed, flea market paintings, peeling wallpaper, a carpet I'd make sure never to touch with my bare feet. What I hadn't anticipated was the odor. It was as if somebody had sprayed every inch of the place with Vantec flute plants. Whatever stints they were converting up didn't stand a chance. I switched switched on the TV in hopes that the voices might calm me. Big mistake, the jackalope in only offered local channels and at the 10 o'clock hour, they were all showing the nightly news. Anyway, I flipped. There he was, a full screen headshot of my recently deceased husband. I didn't want to watch, but I couldn't look away, so I sat there chomping on Mars bars, arming my ass. Not one lousy nut in the whole bag, and listening to the pundits make uninformed guesses about who rocked, who rocked Vincent Costello's poorly nephew. Surprise, surprise. My name came up. Some ace reporter that already managed to obtain from an anonymous source, a first-hand account of the knockdown drag out Anthony and I had at his uncle's party, the one where I threatened to kill Anthony in his sleep. Of course, there were other suspects. Anthony did work for the mob. After all, it was perfectly plausible that I'd been framed in which case I was either lying at the bottom of a I was either lying at the bottom of a swamp or locked in a closet somewhere with duct tape over my mouth. Listening to that crap was giving me a full-blown panic attack. I pictured Vincent sitting on the edge of his overstuffed recliner, watching the same program, going more and more convinced that it was my turn to die. I, I switched up the TV, but the sounds of bellowing drunks and blaring sirens didn't do much to calm me down. Someone who was walking back and forth along the breezeway outside. Before, I told myself, it had, it had to be. The more I thought about it, the more convinced I became that I wouldn't survive the night. Which is why I picked up the motel phone and made the car the only car I could think to make. 911, what's your emergency? The operator asked. I hemmed and hawed, gave her something less than the full story. You, you stay put now, she said in a kind of soothing voice. That truly anxious people find maddening. Help is on the way. She didn't say what kind of help. 
I went to the window, pulled back the heavy curtain just far enough to peel inside, to peel outside. The giant globe faced the kind of cityscape that sends urban dwellers running for the country. Busted street lamps, heavily graffitied storefronts, potholes you can climb down into. The liquids gathered on every corner, but no default, no book blots. Still, my legs were trembling. I had to fight to keep down all that chocolate and syrup. I was expecting either a squad car or a sedan. So at first, a jeep pulling into the lot below didn't register. Then I saw who stepped out of it. Detective scene was Anthony's friend on the force. The man Anthony had tried to convince me was nothing more than a golf buddy who owed him a few favors. The man Vicky wanted name. Was he here on behalf of the Tampa PD or the Costello family? Or had he come as Vicky had suggested to tie up one last loose end? I didn't stick around to find out, just like in the movies. I skimmed, I simmed out of the narrow bathroom window, grabbed onto a tree branch, and lowered myself down. The back of the motel faced an abandoned lot. I started across at a full gallop, tripping over rubble, scraping my palms as I pushed myself back up. I didn't know where I was headed or what I'd find on the other side, and I didn't care. All I wanted was to put distance between me and Sam which is exactly what I failed to do. Scene wasn't gimpy like default or monkey like Borak. He was the type to count calories and measure his body back after his morning run. It came up on me out of nowhere, had me pinned to the ground before I knew I was in a fight. Hi there, Anna, he grinned. I didn't hesitate to scream my head off, seeing let go of one of my wrists, clamped a hand over my mouth. I clawed through his eyes, but couldn't find him. Easy now, he said. You clawed us, remember? Us? Was it possible that even the 911 operator moonlighted for the pastillos, or had she unwittingly forwarded the car to one of Anthony's black male victims, or to seen himself? Yeah, I said, once he took his hand from my mouth. It was a false alarm, so sorry to waste your time. He lifted me to my feet, but didn't cuff me. He didn't moralize me, either. There was nothing at all cop-like about his behavior, which made me high-fly certain. I was headed for a pair of concrete boots. I, t- I tried sweet-talking him as he limped me back to the jeep. Listen, I said, I don't snitch. I won't tell anyone anything about anything. I don't know anything. Anthony kept me in the dark. Whatever secrets the two of you had died with him, I promise you, Seam, all I want now is to get as far from this tropical sit all as possible. There's money in it if you help me. You don't have to do this. Do what? He asked. I didn't say anything. He 
waited a beat, then burst out laughing. You think I'm here too? What? Whack you? You've got it all wrong. Anna, I'm here to help. Like you said, Anthony kept you in the dark. You're new to this kind of thing. I I figure you might need a little coaching. I leaned across the table until Detective Hannigan and I were sitting eyeball to eyeball. And that's what he did, I told her. He coached me all the way to the station. He told me all about you. Sorry, but he isn't a fan. He said if I wanted to stay out of prison, I should dodge your questions. Claim I found the body and panicked. Nothing more to it. Meanwhile, he'd get Vincent off my back and him the real killer. Detective Scene Ross said all of that. Yes, but then I believed him. I wouldn't be sharing it with you right now, would I? I watched her think it over, for I cop her poker face was downright lousy. I could see she wanted to believe me. She wanted to believe I was giving her testimony that would end her ex-partner's career. At the same time, she was afraid of being dumped, duped by a mob widow who might very well be lying through her teeth to save her own hide. In the end, she stopped. I will have to talk to the DA, she said. Fine, I told her. Meanwhile, can I go? I've told you everything I know. Everything from the moment I found Anthony to right now. I'm tired as hell. I need about three cells. She looked confused. But where would you go, she asked. Back to the jackalope. Wouldn't a cell be the safest wouldn't a cell be the safest place for you? If what you say about scene is true, we might be able to work something out. I gave her a trademark Costello's snail. You mean witness protection? I said. Detective, you've been inside my home. Hell, at this point you probably know it better than I do. You really think a bungalow in Tempe is gonna cut it? Now she looked worried, and I knew damn well what she was worried about. Dead women tell no tales, and they saw as hell don't show up to testify in court. Don't sweat it, I told her. I'm the three R's. Resourceful, resilient, and rich. I won't make any more mistakes, she shrugged. I can't hold you, but I need you to keep close. Fine, by me, I said, standing. Of course, legally speaking, I could have shut down that interview any time the mood struck me. Hannigan was right to be cautious. I hadn't lied to her, but the truth I'd sell was purely by design. There you have it. Paul, there you have it. Two chapters down in this episode. Ready for the third chapter? Let's begin. Lucky for me, the love boards paused in Simon's doorway for a long, 
loud kiss. It gave me just enough time to duck out onto the balcony. If Simon had lived on the second floor, I might have jumped. At most, I'd have sprained an ankle or tweaked a knee. Nothing a frozen steak couldn't fix. But the third fight would land me in the hospital. There would be a report Heidi would hear about it. She'd figure out soon enough that Simon and Serena were siblings, and then she'd come hard after my badge. I couldn't risk that. My only option was to hunker down and wait it out. I watched Simon and his date through a small gap in the curtains covering the fence doors. They decided to take their nightcap at home. Simon, it seemed, wanted to showcase his stainless steel martini mixer. Either he was a little drunk already or he didn't spend much time in his kitchen. It took it took a lot of opening and closing of cabinets before he had the grin and the venom and the items lined up on the counter. Meanwhile, my mind was wanting scenarios. None of them were, none of them very pleasant. My biggest fear was that Simon and his lady friend would and choose to sip their cocktails under the stars. In that case, the best I could do would be to hide my face and sort of my way past them. Simon had pounds on me, but I had soberty and surprise on my side. I slipped out of my blazer, prepared to hold it like a cape in front of my head, but the evening didn't take that particular turn. These were walking people with early stop times. They could only fit so months into an evening. Once Simon found a pair of tiny plastic swords for the olives, they carried their martinis straight to the bedroom. I quit holding my breath, let out what felt like enough air for the people. Then I waited some more just in case Simon came back in sorts of snacks. Sorts of snacks. That wasn't, that was, that was when I saw it. Lying there on the small white iron table, a bright blue workbook called English on your lunch break. I remembered when Sarah bought it. She took the title literally, had visions of, t- of tutoring Serena over grilled tomato sandwiches and sun brewed iced tea. The two of them were close, almost like sisters. Together they made life under Anthony's thumb bearable. Seeing the book here now, my pulse turned electric. I scanned the rest of the balcony, spotted a smile, and a bag hidden behind a blotted fictus tree. I walked over, opened it, furnished as of women's clothes and toiletries. Things were looking up so much so that I almost forgot I was on the verge of getting busted for B and E. Priorities, I told myself. Time to get the hell out of here. I opened the French doors just wide enough to slip through and walk 
healed to close across the living room. There was a there was a jazz record playing somewhere in the recess of the apartment. Simon was pulling up on the stops. Part of me felt jealous. Sarah and I hadn't been on anything like a date in as long as I can remember. And lately, our bedroom was strictly for sleep. Back at the Jeep, I pulled out a flask from under the spell tile and did some drinking of my own. Then I spent an hour circling the block until a spot opened up directly across from Simon's building. Serena had been there. She'd been staying there, date, night, or not. There was a chance she might come back. The fact that she'd hidden her belongings behind a tree on the balcony only confirmed she was on the one. Whether she'd done something or was afraid of being blamed for something remained to be seen. And unlike most cops, I love a good stakeout. There's an adrenaline rush that comes with pointing yourself in a position to see what nobody wants you to see. The adrenaline helps me think, and I had a hell of a lot to think about. Still starting with how I'd play it when Serena made her appearance, I couldn't, despite direct orders, turn her over to Vincent. I'd be the, uh, I'd be disposing of the person most likely to swell up and down that Sarah was no killer. The more I thought about it, the more I became convinced I could pin it on the brother, whether he'd done it or not. All I needed was a little time to build the case. Mean, meanwhile, I had to get word to Heidi's three main suspects. Apart from the fact that they ran, Heidi had nothing on them, nothing concrete. All they had to do was point the finger at each other, keep my ex out, turning in circles. I tell them exactly what to say. Have Sarah implicate Serena, Anna implicate Sarah, Serena implicating Anna, or maybe have each of them implicate the other two. Heidi would be blinded with reasonable doubt. Sarah would remain free. A plan was starting to take shape. I worked it out one piece at a time. The siblings wore my ticket back to a humdrum life. First, find Serena and put and put in a cell. Find Serena and put in a car to the tip line. Second, hand Simon over to Vincent with a note that read, "He killed your nephew. It would be awfully damn convenient to have Simon disappear while Serena was in the box with Heidi. He'd look like a man who knew." His sister was about to flip. And when Heidi's team searched Simon's condo, they'd find a few of Anthony's prized possessions sitting on the top shelf of his bedroom closet. Little by little, the lights went out in the buildings around me. I found myself kicking around the same question. 
into the wee hours. Did the fact did the fact that Serena was staying with Simon make it more or less likely that he killed Anthony? I mean, actually killed Anthony, and if not him, then who? It wasn't one of Vincent's men. The killing was too personal, too sloppy. A poor woman stabbed him 27 times, then leave the body behind. Who else had the motive and strength? Maybe Serena found herself a boyfriend. Maybe Anna had taken a level. Maybe Sarah had for that matter. I'd have been too checked cheat out to notice. But why dwell on maybes when there was a flesh and blood brother Taylor made for the pot. The truth didn't matter at all next to what I could prove. And if I could just find Serena, I was pretty sure I could prove that my wife had it. Gillian Anthony Costello. There you go. That was the third chapter. You ready for the final chapter of this of this podcast? Let's begin. October fifteenth, eight thirty AM. Interview room C. I drove out of Aunt Lindsay's little township before sunup. Bell really from the lack from from lack of sleep and feeling as though my my calf might combust at any moment. I had nothing with me but Anna's collection. Not even a change of clothes. I thought about leaving at Lynch, a diamond, or a, a sapphire, but I've seen all his cronies came, came back where they want. They'd lock her up for receiving stolen property. They'd do it just to draw me out, and it would work. I'm not brave or strong or fierce or healthy, but no way could I let my aunt spend every, spend even one night in jail. From first things first, I need to convert those jewels into cash. A week ago, that would have been easy. Anthony knew people, seen new people. A half million dollars worth of jewels would have fetched a half million dollars in bills. But now everything had changed. I'd have to take whatever a pawn shop was willing to give me. There was a long string of cash for goods joints on Hillsborough Avenue mixed in with the liquor stores and tattoo parlors. But unfortunately, Paul Brokers 
don't tend to be only wisers. Not as only as Anna Lindsay, anyway. The best I can find was an eight o'clock a.m. open. Uh, that left me with two hours to kill. Two hours is a long time when you can't be seen in public. I bought a latte and two slices of lemon plum cake at the drive-in window of a Starbucks, then sat in the parking lot sipping and nibbling. The sogo and caffeine made me queasy, but at least there would be no chance of my drifting off. I wouldn't let myself sleep again until I found a bed in a town or city. Well, I knew nobody, and nobody who knew me would think to look at 8 a.m. sharp. A skeletal man that slipped combed over and a bad case on the service opened the door to quick money, pawn, and gun. I gave him 10 minutes to get settled, then followed him inside. Tote bag hanging from my white soda. The place was a junkyard with a roof over its head. You couldn't take a step without tripping over an appliance or a box of comic books, rifles, and guitars hung side by side on every wall. Bicycles dangled from the ceiling. Power tools filled a mental selling unit stuck precautiously in the center of the store. Boxes of cheap cigars stood ten deep at the far end of the counter. The owner was smoking one now, eyeing me from behind a glass display case cluttered with knives and watches and the kind of custom jewelry Anna Costello wanted to be caught dead wearing. I walked over to him, set the bag on the counter, kept the straps drawn tight. My first, my first of the day, he said, turning his head to blow out a ring of every wink smelling smoke. What can I do for you? I had to wonder how many sad and desperate women had been here before, standing where I now stood, hoping this crazy stick figure of a man would pay enough for 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 their bubble or her bubbles to get them out of town. I've got something some things I like to sell, I said. I stopped there, I had a whole sales pitch planned, but my voice was quaking 
and I knew the more I talked, the more I'd give myself away. Instead, I just opened the bag. He took a long look inside, and while he looked, it dawned on me that he might very well have ties to to the Costello family. Pawn shops need protection, more protection than most businesses. On top of it, they are an invaluable source of intel. A handgun just came in. Who sold it? Who got clipped? The night before, someone pawned a 64-inch TV and a set of civil steak knives. Who got whopped? And how much would they pay to get their stuff back? I cursed myself for the risk I was taking. But it was too late now. Besides, I didn't exactly have an abundance of options. Interesting, the man said. Very interesting. Interesting? It had to be the biggest haul his little shop had ever seen. You are looking to sell all of this? He asked. I nodded. He started slifting through the bag cautiously at first, but then two pieces in particular caught his intention. Anna's antique silver locket and a high-clarity blue sapphire pendant that Anthony had given her quite publicity at a banquet celebrating their 10th anniversary, the Borco set them on his palm, held them up to the light. I need to look at these under the glass, he said. Please wait here. I'll just be a moment. I started to protest, but before I could get word, he turned his back to me and slipped to my side room. I thought about sacrificing those two pieces and running off with the rest. What if he was on the phone to the police? Vincent, maybe he recognized the sapphire. Maybe he, he'd been at the banquet. Not yet, Sarah, I told myself. Hold your ground. After what felt like a dozen lifetimes, he came He came back, grinning from ear to ear. I guess this was his salesman personnel. 60000 he said just like that. But the two pieces for all of it. I studied I studied his expression. He wasn't joking. It was enough to snap me out of flight mode. Sixty thousand, I said. They are worth ten times that. Yes, he said, but how much is discretion look worth? I took a step back, stumbled over a crate of naked Bobby dolls. Discretion, I said. I've been at this a long while. He said, you and I both know those jewels don't belong to you. We both know how you came by them. And we both know that whoever you took them from has found more resources than you do. I reached for the bag, grabbed the closest strap. He grabbed the other. How do you know this isn't a sting? I bluffed. He sniggered. 
Like I said, I've been at this a while. I can tell the difference between a setup and a getaway. There was a window in my office. I took down your license plate. I took down your license plate. I will know who you are five minutes after you walk out the door. Is 60,000 starting to sound fair? I nodded, felt my face turning colors. I should think so, he smiled, given what you paid for them. The stack of bills fit, fit. The stack of bills fit neatly inside Anna's tote bag. Okay, guys. That is it for this episode. I'll see you next time for four more episodes. For four more chapters. I'll see you then. Bye-bye. And remember, I'm only having two seasons. So after this one, there'll be one more season. Okay, bye-bye, guys.